I'm not sure how your week went this week. I know some of you had maybe a good week, and I know some of you maybe had a not-so-good week. Um, This week, I laughed. This week, I cried. Um, This week, I combed my hair. This week, I wanted to pull my hair out. Just one of those weeks, right? And as I was thinking about this message and thinking about you in particular as we're putting together um, this message, looking at the scripture, uh, I've just been praying for you, praying that the Lord, as a result of our time together, would increase your faith through the highs and lows of life. Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. Mark chapter 5, 21 through 43 will be our morning text. Maybe you've heard someone say, just keep the faith. But, but what does that mean? What does that mean? Faith in what? Just, just believe. Believe in what? You know, we place our faith in things every single day without even realizing it. Uh, we probably didn't even think to sit down in this chair because we realize, you know what, it looks solid, it looks sturdy, and so we sit in the chair having faith that the chair will hold us. When you get in your car and drive down the road and you push the brake pedal, you have this anticipation that the brakes are going to work and slow the car down, and you place your faith in that car. We place our faith in different objects all throughout the day without ever even thinking about it. But it's when you maybe sit down in a chair that maybe has three legs and one of them is wobbly and you sit down and the the chair collapses and they're like, you know what, I'm not having faith in that chair anymore. Sometimes I think we can, in the good, happy times, our, our faith can be solid and strong, but then when things maybe collapse around us and didn't go according to our plans, maybe our faith can waver. And hopefully the the result today of our story will increase a faith within us as we look at two people that place their faith in Christ. Um, The problem oftentimes is we take faith and rather than placing it in the person of Jesus, in the object of Jesus, we place it elsewhere. Oftentimes we want to take things, matters into our own hands rather than trusting the, the loving, compassionate hand of God. And here's the result of this. Here's what happens. Um, you, you let me know if, if this doesn't resonate with you. When we take things into our own hands, we can become impatient, uptight, stressed, frazzled, frightened, overwhelmed, and discouraged. And earlier this week in my discipleship group, those are all words in which we described our life. <laughs> it's just It's just reality. And here's the problem. When we take matters into our own hand, rather than placing our faith in God and his word and his promises to us, um, instead of things getting better, things tend to get almost worse, right? Because we make lousy gods. (laughs) And so today, all too often, hopefully we're going to see the faith of two people. Two people, but one solution. And the solution is this, faith in Christ. Faith in Christ and his authoritative power and his promises. The past few weeks, we have seen the power of Christ on display. They're out on the sea. He calms the storm. They reach dry land. There's this man full of evil spirits. He, he, he cast out the spirits, and then they cast him out and back to your homeland. And he has shown his power over Natural disasters, 
devastating storms and, and demons. And today we're going to see his authoritative power and his compassion in the midst of people suffering with disease and even death. And today what we're going to see is a miracle within a miracle. You see what's going to happen here is Mark in this story is going to sandwich some things together. He's going to start with one problem and then he's going to switch to another problem and solution and then he's going to come back to the original problem and give the solution there. And we're going to see this. There's a lot of text to cover in a short amount of, short amount of time. Having said that, the title of our message today is The Compassion and Conquering Power of Christ. And as we read the text, we're going to see this. Hopefully, you're going to see the overflowing compassion of Christ and the conquering power over all things. And so, as we read this text, I want us to consider carefully Christ, but also the individuals coming to Christ in faith. Having said that, verse 21 says this, When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now a woman suffering from a bleeding uh, for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she, everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing, for she said, if I could just touch his clothes... I would be made well. And instantly her, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? His disciples to, said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and you say, Who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, not knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. And while he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house and he saw a commotion, people wailing and weeping. He went in and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, but he put them outside, put them all outside. He took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talithia, kum, 
which is translated, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this they were utterly astounded. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. It's a lot of story. One thing we see there, we see Jesus identifying this woman and saying her faith has saved her. And then he addresses the man and says, only believe. Just believe me. Just trust me. Just put your trust in me. Continue to trust me. In both cases, Christ is the object of their faith. Not some obscure faith rituals, but Christ. And our big idea this morning is this. Christ is to be the object of our faith regardless of the obstacles we encounter. It's supposed to be Christ. Not just faith in this, that, or the other, but faith in Christ. As we look at our text, we're going to look at a brief map. In just a moment, I'll, I'll let you write that down. Go back to that real quickly. Christ should be the object of our faith, regardless of the obstacles we encounter. Let's keep that in mind. Now the map. So the red arrow, they come from Capernaum. They they leave the headquarters. Jesus has been preaching and teaching all day long into the night. As night falls, Jesus says, let's depart. They go out into the middle of the sea in evening. There, this huge storm erupts. He stills the storm. He, they arrive along the eastern coastline, this Gentile region, cast out the demons. They get ready to send him out. And he sends out the first Gentile missionary evangelist to the, this area. And he leaves, and they now send him back. And so the, the black arrow is indicating where they're going back to, back to the home region. Having said that, verses 21 through 24, here's what we see. Jesus hears the cries of the distressed. As they get back to this Jewish region of Capernaum, they're met with a large crowd. Jesus was met just a few short hours ago by an evil man, and now they're met with just an enormous group of people, this huge crowd of people. And as they arrive, it's not just a crowd of people, but there's one man in particular who is distressed. This synagogue leader, this synagogue ruler of the synagogue, Jairus. And he comes, although there's many people, he comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. You have to keep in mind, Jewish people did not fall or bow before anybody, let alone a ruler of a synagogue. This would be detrimental to his position. We need to understand the ruler of a synagogue is not a scribe, a Pharisee, a Sadducee. He's not any of these. He's a, a lay clergyman that is, a, that is kind of elected by the people of the community. He oversaw all the events that would go on in the synagogue. So the order of service, what will be read, organizing the different preachers and teachers to come in. He's going to be maintaining the building. He's going to be a man of integrity, a man of character would appear to be a godly man. He's going to be known amongst the the religious elite and all within the community, which is why we get his name here. And it's probably here in Capernaum because it's probably Peter, 
telling the story to Mark as he's writing these things down. And he says it was Jairus. It was Jairus. So many unnamed people within the book of Mark. And here he names this man because he is a popular man. He is known amongst everybody. And he's desperate and he begs the feet of Jesus. Why would he do that? Because he believes in Jesus. He has placed his faith in Jesus. He knows that Jesus can see and do all the things that no one else can do. It's a dire situation. And so as he comes, the the scripture says that he begs earnestly. Deep desperation. His daughter is desperately ill. At the doorway of death. She's at the last stages of hospice care. This is urgent that he cuts through the crowd and gets to Jesus and bows at him and begs of him, Christ, I need you to intervene. I need you to do what I cannot do. My little girl is dying. Come and lay hands on her so that she can be well. He is saying, I have faith in you, Christ, that you can do what no one else can do. I'm placing my faith in you. No one else can do this. There's all sorts of religious leaders and people that I have access to. They're to no avail. It's you and you alone, Jesus. This is one of these emergency type situations as the crowd is, is pressing in. He, he, you can almost see it, say him, get out of the way, clear the way. I need to get Jesus through here. This is an ASAP moment. As soon as possible, we cannot hesitate, we cannot delay, we cannot be distracted. I need to get Jesus to my home to meet with my daughter. In verse 24, Jesus goes with them. It says that the crowd is pressing in. I think it's in the Gospel of Luke. It describes the crowd as hemming him in, almost sewing him in as if no one can move. It's like a herd of cattle, but there's no doorway to to go anywhere. This is the scene. So he's got to go from point A to point B, but it is hard. And so they start making their way. Clear the way, clear the way. Jesus is coming. Get out of the way. Jairus is coming. He needs to get to this home. You see, all of these people that are there waiting for him, they were there the day before. Preaching, teaching, miracles through nighttime, storm, they go to the land, and then they, they are right back to the same area. And these people, they're waiting for miracles. They, they, they're, they're there for the show. They don't really care about the message of Jesus. They just want the miracles. It's like the celebrity status. Oh, I just, I just want to see Jesus. Let's see what's going to happen today. Let's see what's going to happen today. And they're pressing him in. Make way. He's coming through. It's like if you're an ambulance driver trying to weave through rush hour traffic trying to go lights and sirens to render medical aid. If there's a lights and siren moment, it's right now. They need Jesus. They don't need him to be caught up and hemmed in and pressed in by the crowd. They need him to be in this home. They can't be stopped. They can't be delayed. There can be nothing that can hinder this. But wait, there is something that hinders this. Now we get to verses 25 through 34. Jesus responds to the pain of the diseased. There's another character, a new character that enters the scene. But this person is an unnamed person. This is an unnamed woman. 
And she too is at a point of desperation. She's had this bleeding problem for 12 years. And rather than things getting better, things have actually got worse and worse and worse. She sought the help of doctors, spent all of her money, and yet to no avail. According to Hebrew law, ceremonially, she would have been unclean and cast out of the synagogue. So she would have nothing to do with Jairus or anyone else. She wasn't allowed to touch people. She was condemned and unclean. So here we have this woman, monetarily broken, physically broken, spiritually broken. She, like the the man of last week, has been cast out, unable to maintain a normal life, a normal job, a normal home, a normal sense of community, a normal sense of gathering to worship with God's people. That's all gone because of this sickness. And the problem only continued to get worse and worse and worse. We don't know much more about her. Most likely she's unmarried, childless, within the culture, considered contaminated. Ooh, don't come in our town. You stay out there. Unable to gather with friends, unable to do all the things that would normally be able to do and enjoy. And she's done all that she could, and yet to no avail. It's a dire situation living on the outskirts of town with other outcasts. Maybe she heard about Jesus. The scriptures say that she heard about this this man. Maybe some of her friends uh, had been healed and said, you got to meet this Jesus. He's gone now. He's not here. But if he returns and you hear about it, you should run to him. She hears about this Jesus. She's tried everything else and is going to have this great faith in Christ to do what no one else can do. And here's what we see. Jesus not only makes himself available and approachable to Jairus in this dire situation, he pushes pause momentarily and makes himself approachable and available to this woman that no one would dare touch. You see, Jesus, the disciples wouldn't even get off the boat for this man who lived amongst the dead. He was considered unclean. Everyone else in this pressing crowd would have nothing to do with this woman. And Jesus says, ah, it's okay. Come unto me. I'm approachable. I'm available. Yeah, there's this going on. I'll take take care of that later. He's going to do this. And so Jesus, as he returns, we see this woman. Maybe she has a superstition. Um, During the time of Alexander the Great, because of his greatness, people thought, oh, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, maybe some of his power would rub off on me. Obviously, that was not true. We don't know for sure if that was true. Maybe she had that superstition. So maybe she had some bad theology, right? did not fully understand all these things. She hadn't been sitting under the preaching and teaching of Jesus. She just heard about Jesus. But even if that is true, so she can have a, a, a poor understanding of some things, what she does have is a solid faith in Christ that he can save me, that he can heal me, and I'm going to press in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk embarrassment. I'm going to risk shame. I'm going to risk further condemnation because if people find out who I am and I'm rubbing shoulders in this community, I'm in deep trouble. And she says, you know what? It's worth the risk 
because I believe. I have faith that Christ can do what no one else can do. And I just, I just, wanna, I just wanna tap into his power. I just want by faith him to do what no one else can do. And so what does she do? She, she goes and, 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 and touches the hem of his garment. And immediately, immediately, she feels and senses within her she has been healed. It's like if any of you have ever touched a, a hot wire fence. There's power continually, and you can touch that fence. And whoa, I remember doing that once. And my dad said, did you touch that fence? He immediately turned, did you touch that fence? Yeah. What, what happened in that moment? I experienced the power. The power was still in the power line, but for a moment, I got that. Jesus, when this happens... I mean, he's the power source, the living power source. So when some of his power is touched, he, he realizes this. And he stops and he says, whoa. Like, keep in mind, they're, they're like hot pursuit, lights and sirens, go, 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 go. And then he says, whoa. Who touched me? And his disciples are like, Jesus. Don't you see everyone pressing around you? Like, you're being touched by everybody. You're being hemmed in. And you know what? Here, here's what we see. He just kind of shrugs off the disciples. Because you know why? He isn't asking the disciples, Peter, who was it that touched me? He's asking the individual who touched him. No, 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 Peter. No, 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 disciples. Someone touched me, not just like a, a general touch just to, to celebrity status, but reached out with genuine faith because their faith is going to be the instrument which heals. And he knows this. Although he's being touched by a bunch of other people that don't have faith in him, he gets touched by one that has genuine faith in him. And scripture says that, verse 30, immediately Jesus realized the power had gone out from him when his clothes had been touched. And so Jesus pauses in this moment. Jesus knew something extraordinary had happened. And he's willing to give his power to heal to those who come to him in faith. And so as he looks around, he desires to meet this individual of genuine faith. And maybe Jesus, he makes eye contact with her. He sees her. And what is her response? Just like Jairus, she comes and bows down before him. It says in fear and trembling. The same fear and trembling that the disciples had after the storm. The storm was scary, but what was more scary is standing in front of the all-powerful one who did what he just did. She's not as scared or afraid of the, the crowd anymore. She doesn't need to be. She's been healed. She's no longer contaminated. She is fearful because she realizes she is standing before the all-authoritative power of a holy God. Whoa! I know what just happened. Maybe she, I, I, I stole some of this power because I didn't even ask him for it. I just, I just went and touched it, and now I'm like sneaking out. What will he do? Will he chastise me? Will he condemn me? Is it all over for me? But then something extraordinarily happens. As he sees her and as she bows down, 
It goes on to say that she told her whole story. Now, we don't know. Is this a 15-minute life story overview? Or is it a, a, a telling of her whole life? Let me go back 12 years ago. Let me go back 12 years before that. So my life was good. And then this thing happened, and for the past 12 years, it's been this, this, and this, and I've gone to this doctor and paid this amount of money and all this to no avail. And now I meet Jesus today, and he heals me. Like, who knows? We, we, there's no indication if this is a five-minute stop or a five-hour stop. But Jesus, he's on no hurry. He's on no one's timetable but his own. He will not be rushed. He, he, he's going to do what he is going to do. And here's what we see Jesus do. We see the great care, the great compassion of Jesus. Because he doesn't condemn her. He doesn't chastise her. He doesn't say, what are you doing? You shouldn't be here. Don't you know ceremonial law? Don't you know I have really important business? Don't you know who I am? I'm Jesus. We're going lights and siren to a dying girl. How dare you stop me by faith? He doesn't do that. What does he do? His response after hearing her story, after testifying her faith in Christ and what Christ has just done, he says this. With care and compassion like a father to a child, he says, daughter. Hmm. Daughter. Your faith has saved you. You see, the, the same grace that healed her was the same faith that saved her soul. She was restored both physically and spiritually here. She went to Jesus just looking to be restored, and she found that. But she also found this familiar relationship that was given to her. Now, instead of being an outcast, she is part of the inner circle of God's family, and that's why he calls her daughter. Something much bigger has taken place than just a temporal healing. Like, she needed that, but what she needed was a savior, a redeemer, a rescuer from not only her suffering in a sinful world, but from her sin. And she finds that and is now brought in as a part of God's family. And here's what we see about Jesus. He highlights the needs of God's people are much higher priority than ceremonial observations. And so this frantic scene of of moving, Jesus slows down and shows gentleness and grace. You know, that'd be good for all of us as well. <laughs> Realizing that God's timing is not our timing, and so oftentimes we get in a rush, and if someone tries to get in our way and stop or detour us or slow us down from our pursuit, we can get upset, we get a little frustrated, we get a little irked, rather than showing gentleness and showing grace. You want to be like Jesus? Don't be in such a rush to get from here to there. Let's just slow down. Let's just, let's just seek to, to lovingly show grace, compassion, the care of Christ. And notice he didn't say, your touch made you well, or my garments made you well. No, it was her faith. Her faith was not the efficient cause for her cure. It was Christ. Hear this. Her faith in Christ was the instrumental cause for her healing. Christ was the object of her faith. 
It wasn't a garment. It wasn't some hokey prayer or some fake ritualistic thing. No, 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 no. It was Christ. Your faith, your faith in what? Your faith in me that has healed you. That's what's taken place here. Christianity is about not generic faith, but a genuine faith in Christ. He is to be the object of our faith. You see, it's not a, mat- it's not a matter of the amount of our faith, but to whom we appoint our faith in. It's not a matter of the amount of faith, but who is the object of our faith. I believe this tree can save me. No, it can't. You can believe that all day long, but the tree can't save you. The only one that can save you is a savior, Jesus. And that's what he's wanting to point out. He's wanting to highlight. She had been to to 20 doctors, putting her faith in the doctors, the physicians. They couldn't help her. And then she comes and places her faith in the true physician. And what happens as she places her faith in the true physician? He heals and does what no one else can do. This is faith. And this is not faith in fuzzy land. This is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a thought. She's not only healed physically, but healed spiritually. You see, by faith in Christ... You and I can receive forgiveness and freedom. But a lack of faith in Christ, you can reject and forsake forgiveness. Forgive, forsake the freedom that he offers. And this is how it ends. This is how this scene ends. Look at verse 34. It says, go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Go, not in the fear and trembling. Go, not in misery, but but go and live in peace. The peace in which I provided. The verb tense there is healed permanently. I want you to understand, I've taken care of matters, both physically and spiritually. You are healed, go in peace. Live no more in in, in the way that you were, but enjoy this new life in which I have offered you. And this is what Christ does. He provides peace. It's through his powerful work, based on her faith placed in him, And now a dramatic shift back to Jairus, the dying daughter. Look at verses 35 through 43. The final scene. Jesus has authority over the power of death. While all this is going on, remember, we don't know the time frame here. Some of the individuals from the house come to Jairus and they have a conversation. Hey, I had to tell you this, but your daughter, she has passed away. There's no no need to bother the teacher any longer. And Jesus is over here, and he hears this, and he's aware of this. While this may be extremely bad news for Jairus, the bad news of Jesus doesn't really affect Jesus because he can take any bad news and actually turn it into good news. (laughs) That's why he's he's unfazed by this. He hears this, he understands this, he, he sees and knows what's going on. We might be prone to think maybe Jairus is just overwhelmed by emotions at this time. Frustrated, maybe furious even at this woman. Like she, she, she used up valuable time. There's hurt and heartache and all of these things. And, you know, if we would have just beelined it, we, we might have been able to get there. And Jesus just might have been able to do something. But maybe this incident actually 
was a means to strengthen his faith as he hears what Jesus did, just did. Took, took this woman living in a dead situation, giving her new life. Maybe he's thinking, you know what? Although my daughter may be dead, he can bring life. And in fact, Matthew gives us another angle of this. This is what Matthew said. Jerry said this, my daughter, so this is a part of another conversation that Jarius has with Jesus, my daughter just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jarius is committed in his faith, firmly trusting in Jesus to do what no one else can do. In Matthew, he identifies Jesus, she has died, but I believe if you want in your power, in your will, that you can raise her from the dead. I believe that. He's a strong man of faith, believing in Jesus to resurrect. You know, maybe Jesus, in his care and compassion, he comes alongside Jairus, places his arm on his shoulder and says, only believe. Just keep trusting. Because it says in the scripture that he just, he, he tells Jairus, he's not making this some big show. Hey, let's walk. Let's just keep walking. And so it goes from this panic scene to a pause to the slow, sorrowful pathway walk to the house. Nothing to see here. Everyone go your way. The family just needs some time. Um, Peter, James, John, I want you guys to come with me. Everyone else, go, go your way. And what we're going to see is Jesus once again giving a front row seat to insiders and kicking out, removing the outsiders. So they arrive at Jairus' home, verse 38, and it's out of control. There's people wailing, people weeping. It's just crazy. You see, in this time, there would have been professional wailers. The, the, the rabbis had established this law. Anytime someone would die, you need at least two flute players. Three's too much, I guess. I don't know. And at least one female wailer where her sole job, her sole purpose is to cry and moan. <laughs> now listen, that was the minimum. So if you're really poor, you got the minimum. Just two flutes, one whaler. But if you're a man of importance, prestige, money, and you know all the religious people, they're going to send the whole worship team of whalers. So you can imagine when Jesus enters the scene and it says there's a commotion, Oh, yeah, there's a commotion. There's horrible out-of-tune flutes. Uh, there's just these people wailing and crying and ah! And Jesus is like, well, was... time out, time out. We're going to put a stop to this. And he says, hey, whalers, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And you can, and, and immediately their heart is exposed. Because they go from lament ah, to laughing and scoffing and scorning. They don't believe Christ. They're not a follower of Jesus. And Jesus has said, just like he's going to clean the house of the temple, get all those wicked people out of there. Just get out of here. You false, fake wailers. You pretenders. Get out of Jairus' house. He's a man of faith and you are not. You must be gone. They knew and understood death. I mean, they're professional whalers. They are around dead people all the time. 
some time had clearly passed from the time of scene two to the time of them arriving at the house because now the whalers are there and things are well underway and they would be leading the funeral procession from the house to the gravesite. This is what's going to be taking place. And Jesus interrupts and says, there's going to be no funeral today. Farewell to you, but listen, there's no funeral today. And so what happens? He sends them on their way. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. Well, in this moment, this girl was physically dead. The mourners were there, acquainted with death. But here's what they weren't acquainted with. They weren't acquainted with Jesus and his power. Jesus knew his power to take her from lifeless sleep and make her awake with life. He can simply speak life into existence and it comes to be. And so Jesus was using sleeping as a euphemism for death. In fact, the Bible oftentimes talks about, and Paul would talk about this, of those who have passed, have gone into a state of sleeping. It's this temporary state. So yes, you consider her dead. I consider it this temporary state of sleeping because I'm going to wake her. And she's going to be awake. So they thought he was out of his mind, but Jairus and the, the disciples who are with them are like, let's just see what Jesus is going to do. So they laughed, they scorned. In verse 41, with compassion, he takes his disciples. The house is now quiet. He takes mom and dad. Maybe they, they go there to the, do- to the daughter. It's just somber. They probably look at her. Maybe she, she's cold. She's lost maybe some of the color. She's, she's maybe even a little stiff. And in compassion, he reaches out and touches her hand and says, Tatalia, kum which is Aramaic, the, the, the language of which he would have spoke as a young child and in which the language that she would say, which is to say, little girl, arise. It can also be translated little lamb, almost as a shepherd, the shepherd speaking to a little lamb. Arise. And what happens? Boom! Immediately she springs to life. She just sits up gets out of bed and starts walking around like a normal 12-year-old girl. Maybe she's looking for some food. She's hungry. She hasn't eaten for a long time. Who knows how long the suffering has gone on? And they are shocked. They are in a moment of shock and awe of, I cannot. This is amazing. They, they, they are awestruck. And no doubt they want to go proclaim this good news of Jesus anywhere and everywhere. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Strictly, we cannot have that but the work is done. Jesus is thinking, no, the work is not done. I didn't come to just simply perform miracles and resurrect people to live another 20, 40, 60, 80 years. I came to be the resurrection of life, to lay down my life so that you could have life, to give you resurrection of life, eternal life. And we can't allow these miracles to be a distraction of my mission and my ultimate message. And so listen, keep this under wraps. It's going to get out anyways. But listen, I don't want all of these miracles. I just don't want people to come to me for, for, for raising here, raising here, raising here. I mean, the, 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 they just can't have that. And Jesus is set on that. And so he says, you know what you could do, though? 
you could get your daughter something to eat. She's probably really hungry. And that's exactly what happens. You know, this young child, she was beyond human help. (laughs) But when the resurrection, when the life enters the scene, everything changes. That's what Jesus does. He changes everything. Maybe not according to our plans, maybe our purposes, the way we had it all planned out in our head. But this is what Christ does. The power over disease, death, and lost causes converge with the person of Christ. And this is the Lord Jesus in whom we place our trust in all things at all times. I'm going to put up here a little slide of comparison. And here's what we see. We see two individuals, one solution, placing their faith in Christ. What's interesting here, we see this named man, Jairus, and an unnamed woman. An affluent life, an afflicted life, important and honored. One is respected and poor. One is a leader in the synagogue. One is removed from the synagogue. One has a 12-year-old daughter who's dying, and one has been suffering 12 years with this disease. They couldn't be any different. They had exhausted all other means. And so regardless of status, how much you have in common or not in common, here's what we see. Placing your faith in Christ is the solution. These people realized sin is not a respecter of persons. You can do everything right and still face wrong. Why? Because we live in a wrong, sinful, cursed, broken world. It's inevitable that we will suffer. It's inevitable that we will sin and be sinned against. It's inevitable that we will feel the stings, the pains of sin. But both come in faith. They have literally nothing to offer like we sang about earlier. They're simply kneeling, professing their need for him. Both are in desperate need of God's grace. Both are in need of a savior. Both need his compassion and his conquering power to do what no one else can do. My friends, this passage is not about physical healing. This is not about going to Jesus as a genie in the bottle to raise to life and resurrect my loved ones who have gone before me. The unique power of Christ was on display as a means to show his ultimate power over all things. While this was an amazing miracle, it pales in comparison to being able to give you and me eternal life. She was raised to life that day and probably went on to live a good, happy life, but then she died. Jesus knew all of these people that would heal would eventually die because they're, they're stuck in this sinful world. So I want to give something far greater. In my compassion, I want to give my life to conquer sin and death so that everyone can enjoy eternal life who would place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his plan. Our faith needs to be placed in the object or the person of Christ and the promises of his word. Jesus never promised, hear this, Jesus never promised to heal our physical afflictions, our ailments, or that of others. Now, we can certainly pray that, and God can do that according to his will if he wants to. But here's what Jesus did promise. Jesus promised that we would have afflictions. That's what he promised. So these things ought not surprise us but he also promised to go with us 
that we would not be left alone in the midst of this suffering. He promised eternal life to all those who would call upon him. That's a promise. He promised forgiveness of sin and its penalty. That's a promise. He promised freedom from sin and the power of sin. That's a promise. And he promised to prepare a place for his children and he promised to return. Those are promises of Christ. Those are what we must hang our hat on. We must keep our eyes on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. We must always keep Jesus as the object of our faith. We're going to close with two questions. Question number one is this. How do we keep Jesus the object of our faith? How is this done? Okay, you, you've talked about that, and I understand the importance of it, but how is this done? Well, through the grace of God. And so I want us to consider three proactive steps of the grace of God. Us just, you know, yielding to God and his way and allowing his grace to enable us. Number one is this, be patient. We saw this word a number of times in the scripture, immediately, immediately, immediately. But here's what we need to understand. This all was a process of time. She suffered for 12 years. This girl didn't just get sick one day and is dying the next day. This is a process of time. All these things are coming about. Don't allow other things or people to become the objects of our faith. Just, just, just be patient to trust God by faith and his promises. Be, be patient. Then number two is this, be determined. Be persistent. These individuals were firmly fixing their faith. There's nothing that's going to stop me from getting to Jesus. I don't care the crowd. I don't care all the, the hurdles. I am going to be determined to just seek Christ. So by grace, pursue to faithfully follow Christ by faith. And then the third one is this, be learning. Learn to discern promises from God versus false truths of the world. Don't listen to voices that contradict Christ or his word. If he said it, then you should believe it. Job's friends after all said and done, why don't you just curse God and die? No, no, no. He was just going to trust God. The mockers in the house may say, Jarius, what are you doing bringing that Jesus here? He, he, he's no good. He failed you. Don't listen to them. Maybe the people for the woman said, you shouldn't go into town. All this bad. No, I got to get to Jesus. I'm determined to see Jesus. In my faith, I'm going to make it happen. We could have added more. Be, be humble. Be worshiping. But the second question is this. How do we place our faith in the person of Jesus? So, so how, do we, how do we place our faith in the person of Jesus? Well, we need to remind ourselves early and often of who Jesus is. Maybe even daily we need to do this. And so we just need to recall who Jesus is. And who's Jesus based on the scripture? Three short things. Jesus is approachable and available. Any time, any place, any problem, oh, we can bring it to him. Sometimes we, th we might think, I don't want to burden him with my problems and be a burden to him. Our burdens are not a burden to him. He says, bring them to me. I, I can bear it. Jesus never is saying, no, get away from me. I don't have time for you. No, no, come unto me. Don't kick those children out. Let them come to me. He's approachable. He's available. Number two, he, he's, he's caring and compassionate. Know the heart of Christ. 
He's not too busy. He's in tune. He's in touch with your trials, with your temptations. Hebrews 4.15 talks about him being touched with the infirmities of our weaknesses, our struggles. He was in all points tempted. He knows these things. He sees these things. He understands these things. And he says, oh, I love you. He didn't cast out this woman or say, Jairus, get away from me. No. In his care and his compassion. And then the third thing is, as we close, a powerful promise keeper. He will keep his word. Jairus, just keep believing. I'll be true to my word. I'm going to take care of this. In my time, in my way, just, just, just keep trusting. We have to take comfort and confidence, not in the unchanging wisdom of this world that's always changing, but actually we need to place it in the unchanging word of God and his promises. It's probably really important that we know what God promises and what he does not. My friends, the big idea, Christ is to be the object of our faith regardless of the obstacles we encounter. May we remember that today, but preach it to ourselves tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that.